You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to www.3cr.org.au. 3CR and Uprise Radio pay our respects to the Kulin Nation, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. election of US President Donald Trump and we are here on Uprise Radio. Jackson, lovely to be live and in the studio with you again. I know, I feel out of practice, uh, but it's great to be back here live and in person. Nice to see you in the flesh and it's a very, the song, you know, could have been released yesterday. It's the same story, isn't it? We're here again, US Election Day 2020. Uh, the same criminal president, the same barely um, <clears throat> more impressive opponent. Uh, but, you know, I think it would be a, a better world, a, a saner world uh, with Trump out of the White House. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, right now, at 5.53 p.m. here in Australia, it's too early to call uh, the result, it seems. Yeah, we are still trying to follow uh, what's happening here um, in the election, but we are going to be joined by Daniel and Melissa, who have followed us along a journey uh, with the US election now uh, throughout the year. And yeah, we... We predicted that, well, one thing I can say we predicted was that it might be too early to call the result, but I think there's still a lot to talk about and a lot to kind of dissect. And 
obviously, no matter who wins, we will still have a lot to kind of um, follow up from that. I think, um, yeah, what are your sort of first result, first ideas from the results that have come through already, Jackson? And um, while you're talking, um, I might get uh, Daniel to come on as well. Yeah, so I suppose it's it's pretty concerning um, as a leftist Hello. for a number of reasons. Um, one of which is that it looks pretty even, even on a popular vote uh, keel right now, um, as opposed to the last election when, you know, at least true uh, democratics, not uh, democratic party members, but people who like democracy could say that most people in America didn't want uh, the insane orange clown as their president. Uh, Incredibly, um, it now seems that, you know, around about half of them do. Uh, It hasn't at all been the landslide victory to Biden that a lot of pollsters were predicting. Uh, I'm surprised there's many pollsters that have jobs left after all all of these um, mis, uh, well, incorrect predictions over the last few years. Um, yeah, a lot of the leading uh, sophologists, as they're called, were predicting, uh, were saying that a, that, a, that an easy Biden victory was was, ni- was a 90% chance uh, and there was just a, a minuscule 1% chance of a, of a tie or a stalled election. But I think, I think what's most concerning is that we've, we've watched Trump and the Trump campaign lay the groundwork for months now to discredit a close election and to discredit the post-in votes that are still to be counted and could deliver Biden an eventual victory. So so the longer that the Trump uh, campaign is able to drag out uh, the count and refuse to count certain ballots. I mean, they've been putting in challenges to courts in various states, including Pennsylvania, which is a, a really uh, key state, saying that they won't count ballots that arrive more than three days after the election, even if they were sent previous to the date of the election. They've, I mean, that they lost that challenge, but it's just an example of the, the lengths they're going to to suppress the vote. Uh and, and, and we also have a president in, in Donald Trump, or the US has a president, I should say. I mean, it's such a global world now, it, it feels like it, it directly influences us, and it, and it does in a number of ways. But, you know, Trump's had numerous opportunities to assert that he'll, he will respect the will of the American polity, and he just refuses to do that. I mean, just recently on Twitter, he, he, he tweeted that the Democrats are stealing the election, even though it's really too tight mm. to call right now. And we haven't seen the Democrats even take the seats that they, uh, sorry, the states that they need to take to win this presidential election. And it's broader than that. You know, I mean, this stretches into the House, into the Senate. You know, there just hasn't been the resounding rejection of t- Trump's abject failure to manage the, the pandemic. That, that I think a lot of us were expecting. Well, and right at the moment, uh, we've got Biden on 227 projected um, votes and Trump on 213. And I, I think um, just as we're about to uh, get Daniel and Melissa in here, I think that it's, it's not as though, um, you know, Joe Biden is necessarily the candidate that any of us wanted or an inspiration, but I think that getting rid of Trump, you know, gives a little bit of um, hope to people, and as Jin Erso said uh, in Star Wars, rebellions are built on hope. Daniel and Melissa, thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks very much, James. Good to be here. So, 
can you both, um, you know, Daniel, do you want to start by just giving um, some of your thoughts on the election so far, you, you know, uh, been watching and sort of checking out what's going on this afternoon. What are some of your thoughts on on where we sit at the moment? Well, it's far too close for comfort, isn't it? I mean, uh, look, you know, I haven't done an in-depth analysis of the swing states as they as they shift, but going off the Washington Post, which seems to have a more realistic assessment of which states are going to, uh, of the swing states, uh, it's not looking good. It's not looking good at all. And so even if Biden scrapes through with a tiny majority in the Electoral College, um, you know, it's it's a disgraceful result for the Democrats. Obviously, I hope that is the case. Um, you know, and I also note that he's pulled about one and a half million votes ahead so far, which I would expect that to increase. So if he gets uh, a greater majority of the popular vote than Clinton did, but still loses in the Electoral College, this raises huge questions about the American system. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. And, you know, uh, I can't remember exactly, but um, Hillary was a couple of million um, votes, I think, um, ahead of Trump in the popular vote. And I think it, it really has to call into question, you know, this is a country that likes to go around to other countries talking about democracy and spreading the ideas of democracy. It really, it's not just the um, college voting system, but there is a lot of uh, repression in the people that are allowed to vote. Um, you know, there's a lot of issues that I think really need to say, you know, is the U.S., a failed democracy and how can it be improved as a as a democracy yeah no it's a failed well i mean i'm increasingly open to the view that it's a failed state on many many levels um you know the just sheer rationalism of the the federal system um you know the fact that three that, that one wyoming voter is worth three votes and one california voter is worth slightly less than one like this is wild um and you know the constitution you know the constitution in the united states is, is so fetishized but you know, to paraphrase Jesus Christ, the law was made for man, but man was not made for the law. So if the Constitution is failing so badly, um, you know, I think, look, you know, it's hard to make comments without knowing exactly what it's going to be. But um, coming out of this, I think the Democrats need to learn if they don't, you know, want to keep losing to Trumpism, either this time around or, or in, in four years time, they have to make a serious push Um to tackle some of the huge issues of the Constitution and with the way the voting works. And there's things you can do prior to just saying amend the Constitution, which I know is, is very difficult. Right. And also importantly, the voting system, the Electoral College, the way it is now, was not baked into the Constitution. This was yeah. amended uh, somewhere in the 1800s, early 1800s, to disenfranchise people the way it does now. So even if we are fetishizing the Constitution, which is problematic on its own, it's, you know, these later coming amendments that are really messed with our democratic foundations and made it hard to make votes be representative. Yeah, yeah. One of the explanations I read for the um, Electoral College is that following the Civil War um, and when sort of the radical element of Reconstruction was wound back as a kind of stop to the southern states, um, well, prior to that as well, slaves were weighted. They were counted in terms of the Electoral College vote. They didn't have the vote, obviously. Um, but then the weighting of votes was, was with the Electoral College was um, arranged in order to privilege the southern states to preserve their say within the Union following the Civil War. So, you know, a series of amendments like that with such a, a dismal historical origin. Um, yeah. I think one of the things, you know, we were told uh, Hillary Clinton was the candidate that could beat <laughs> Donald Trump because, you know, she offered a path that, um, you know, was able to appeal to people across all sides that, um, you know, it's exactly the same as what we were told with Joe Biden. And, you know, there were clearly other candidates there that, were, you know, the 
we've all spoken about together on our show uh, about, you know, who, you know, clearly there's Bernie Sanders in both times and, you know, there's other candidates there. Um, you know, Melissa spoke about Elizabeth Warren and her candidacy and, um, and uh, you know, I guess even looking forward to, um, you know, people like AOC in the future, what space is there actually, or are the Democrats going to, if they do lose, you know, or are they going to actually admit that this is not the candidate to beat someone like Donald Trump, you know, and are they actually going to open up a space that means that there is space for a a left-wing alternative within the Democrats? Uh, Yeah, I, I, I hope so. It's really hard for me in this moment right now to look past this moment Mm. and be ready to critique the Democratic establishment because right now I'm just desperate for them to get into office. Mm. But um, yes, certainly. I certainly think it will be on the Democratic Party to notice the left push because otherwise they're going to become obsolete. And that's the problem is we are in a two-party system. We haven't we don't really have access to the kind of split we would like to see, right? Like as AOC has famously said, only in America would she be in the same party as Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's just, it's really hard for me at 5.45 PM, you know, with the swing state count still going to to be ready to condemn the Democrats because right now I'm like, please just take the reins. Yeah, Melissa, look, I mean, the, oh, sorry, the privilege go ahead, of distance, hey, so, you know, I feel... You know, I'm, I'm, I'll be devastated by the result if Trump gets in because that's going to have, have flow-on effects for the whole world. Um, and, you know, I care about the United States. Like, it's a country I, I quite like I've, and I've got a lot of friends there. And, you know, I don't want to see, you know, that nation just descend into total chaos. Um, but, like, I think with the Democrats, like, it's a, such a strange party and it's such a strange beast. But, like, in the upper echelons, like in the, in the you know, the, the DNC and the other bodies that sort of really call the shots in terms of candidates and that, there's been such a concerted unwillingness to face facts mm. and also like a concerted unwillingness to, I guess, mobilise popular opinion by appealing to people, uh, you know, around their interests uh, in order to play, I guess, what I'm saying is like, you kind of have to fight fire with fire, you know, don't try and impeach Trump. Don't complain about the fact that he's appointing people to the Supreme Court, campaign against it, you know, and, and there's an American tradition of that. Like FDR did that, um, Lincoln did that. Um, you know, I think they need to up the ante a lot um, if they're going to, you know, even if they win, if they're going to survive against Trumpism 2.0, which will recur because he's clearly got a base, they're going to need to do some of that. It's just so hard too, though, because it's not just about the candidates. The system itself is broken and it's perpetuating, right? It is biased towards conservatives and it's going to continue to be so as they're in power and they can put in more systems to disenfranchise voters to you know put more conservative judges on the bench it's just we're fighting an uphill battle here and as much as i wanted any candidate other than joe biden to be running today save pete Buttigieg, i mike bloomberg yeah save bloomberg also pretty much anyone besides them I can't say that I would in this moment be feeling a whole lot more confident than I do now. Like it's just the way the electoral map is drawn. I think it would have been really hard for any of the candidates who we Mm. love dearly to have pulled this off just as it is for Joe Biden, not because of their abilities, but because of the way the system is rigged. Yeah. 
Melissa. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've been a Bernie bro in the past or a Bernarda brethren, but I don't want to get up here and say that Bernie would have won because we can't be sure of that. And also, it's a slightly stale take. Um, and he, you know, as we've seen, he he came up against massive barriers, which are, I guess, the product of decades of political um, disalignment and disillusionment. And, you know, for me, this is a broader point about polities that ultimately a polity rests on the people that participate in it. And yet, over the neoliberal period, people have become very alienated from that in a whole series of ways. And some of those have gone to the hard right. But in the most abstract sense, the only thing you can do is try and find a way to re-engage people and fight, and not just on the electoral terrain as well, but in order to build a new polity, like a new set of structures and a new system, um, you know, that can that can better represent the nation that's changed a lot since, you know, those systems were established. Well, and yeah. step one is putting some Democrats in office with teeth to make some serious reforms to the Supreme Court, to the Electoral College, throw some statehood fairy dust on top of D.C. and Puerto Rico and Guam. Like, let's do this because my heart can't take this every four years. I really can't. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a really good point about what the first steps are. And, you know, you've both touched on, you know, we know you know, from both just just wi- from all of us witnessing what's been happening in the United States, particularly this year, with the amount of boots on the ground, people getting out on the streets and demanding change. You know, at a time when that has a whole lot of um, you know, forces arrayed against it. You know, including a, a very law and order happy president, a lot of law and order happy governors, and 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 a pandemic. You know, but we have seen the willingness of people to get out and demand change, and I wonder, you know. With it coming from a long way off, that that Trump wanted to delay, if there was a close election, that that he wants to delay, that he wants to, you know, um, impugn the validity of these postal votes, like, you know, what what do you think we're going to see in the next few days in terms of people demanding that the votes be counted, demanding that, you know, so we don't end up with another situation like the two thousand election where the Democratic Party kind of kind of meekly you know, just, just rolls over and, and allows, you know, this kind of litigious forming of government. I mean, I, this is just one aspect of, of what you're describing, Melissa, of these various things that are stopping democracy working in the United States. But, I mean, have you heard from, from friends or family about uh, how, how, do, how do people resist what Trump has kind of been planning now for months? Um, mainly what I'm hearing from friends and family right now is a lot of sleep deprived, panic induced eating, to be honest. (laughs) Um, so I'm not, I'm not hearing a lot of coherent thoughts coming out of the States right now, especially it's late at night. But, um, I think that the general consensus between my, you know, leftist friends who are informed is that you can't. You can't go around screaming he's going to steal the election because people don't vote when they think it's a foregone conclusion, right? So there hasn't been a lot of a lot of um, public outcry in terms of the election being stolen because that's not the message we want to send to voters on election day. However, you know, it's a lot of what's the phrase? It's a lot of bark and a very little bite. I mean, certainly it's scary and he can do some damage here, but at the end of the day, you have to hope and you have to think that there are more people who would like to avoid some sort of civil war than who would like to see Trump in office. Yeah, look, that makes sense. I mean, you know, on the stealing the election thing, 
the US Constitution enshrines the right to rebel against the Constitution if, if the nation becomes a tyranny. So if the election is stolen, like immediately, you know, every city has to start to mobilise. That's a big if, though. And, you know, I, I don't have a sense of what's going on, on the ground, so I can't, you know, give positioning advice like that. And that's a lot harder to do. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, I think on the Civil War, you know, that's been a real discourse recently. You know, it's come up with a lot of friends and, and you know, there's sort of articles about it. I mean, obviously, we're not at a Civil War yet. And, you know, I kind of feel that that's probably a little further away than some people think, because that, that's a big deal for a country to go into that. But if people are really serious that that is what is coming, then there has to be a fight on absolutely every front. You know, there has to be community organising, there has to be union organising, there has to be organising in legislature. Um, and, you know, like really like the gloves have to come off for the left, you know, and, and because the Democrats are such a strange beast and such a diverse party and not really a party in the same sense as Australian parties, there'll be spaces within the Democrats within which people can fight, but there'll be spaces outside, you know, on the streets, you know, in the labour movement, things like that. Well, I think, you know, that's where I think some of the kind of progressive change that we were talking about before of kind of strengthening US democracy can really come from, because I don't really see that, you know, Democrats or Republicans necessarily, even, you know, the um, more positive uh, politicians within that are going to be wanting to necessarily change a system for which they benefit from. So I think, you know, that kind of, those kind of demands to, you know, whatever that may look like, you know, it's reimagining the um, college voting system or, you know, removing some of the restrictions on the people that are, are allowed to vote and things like that. I think those demands, like much like the other things that have come from defunding police and those kind of campaigning through the Black Lives Matter ca campaigns need to come from those people on streets. And I think it will be really interesting either way to see the reaction of people on the streets. And uh, as Melissa said, like particularly with the pandemic and obviously the pandemic in the US is... Um, in a much different situation than we're experiencing in Australia. So it's going to be quite difficult for, you know, people to actually carry through with that. I guess the biggest example we saw here was, um, you know, the sacking of Gough Whitlam and people marched across um, Canberra and capital cities to, you know, protest about that um, episode of democracy here. And I think, you know, we will see people on the streets. We have seen people on the streets all throughout this time, all throughout the election anyway, because of the Black Lives Matter campaigning. But I think we will see that. And I guess it's, um, I agree with January, I think it's nowhere near really a civil war kind of um, issue. But it, it is, um, it is certainly something that can push things either in a really positive or, you know, perhaps in a, in a negative situation when we have people like the, um, you know, Trump back proud boys on the streets as well. Yeah. Look, I think there's one there's one example from Australia in the last few months that might be relevant, right? Because during the peak of Victoria's second wave, there are a number of strikes that occurred in workplaces which are particularly subject to you know, COVID-19, like had a lot of cases, and in some cases the employers were covering them up. Well, Trump's uh, Secretary of Labor, um, who's, you know, a Scalia, um, the other Scalia's son, um, you know, passed a series of, of um, regulatory changes basically enabling employers to cover up COVID-19 at work, uh, making it so that workers can't claim unemployment insurance if they refuse to go to work, even though work's unsafe. Well, okay, so there's not necessarily going to be a pathway to fixing that through a better Secretary of Labor or, you know, or, or reforms through Congress and Senate. People can strike. That happened here in Melbourne, and that worked um, in a number of cases. So that's, you know, there's a number of fronts on which we can fight, I think. And, uh, you know, the left and the states has to just work at those and find every concrete opportunity. 
I think one of the positive things um, that I saw from the election was the allowing um, postal votes, which obviously was really necessary um, considering the, the pandemic. But, you know, in Australia, we obviously have compulsory voting here. And so therefore, it's really pressed upon people to... Um, you know, they will get people to vote and then sort out the details later if need be. And, you know, in most states in the US previous to um, this current election, you needed a a really good excuse to not um, vote in person. And I really hope that that's something, a small kind of reform it may seem like, but I hope that that's something that could be pushed because certainly, you know, people who are in low-income jobs, people who can't take time off work, um, you know, are people that often miss out on being able to vote purely because they can't actually take that day to go and vote. And I, I really hope that that's a small reform that could mean that in the future we have a lot more people voting because if you have the amount, have a large amount of people doing postal votes with people voting on the day, um, you know, that would bode well for a thriving democracy. Not to mention uh, the differently abled, right? In-person voting is ableist and mm-hmm. it's very core. There's a lot of people who are not able to get there and vote in person, uh, even with a lot of the um, accessibility requirements for polling places, it's still a challenge. It's a mobility issue. So I agree. I hope moving forward, we can keep remote voting. I mean, I vote in California and I've been voting absentee since I was like 20. So um, no, since yeah, since mid twenties. Anyways, it's a good system and I hope we keep it. And um, that could be one positive change from the pandemic. i just get one final thought from the two of you. I mean, as we've said, the election, it, it is too close to call right now. But do you think, you know, with the democratic establishment and with, you know, organised left or the left that's able to form government in the United States or, you know, hold positions of power, how do you think they'll reflect on Biden's failure. Do you think that the narrative that's going to come out is that he, you know, moved too far to the progressive agenda and lost uh, the, you know, the Trump-hating Republicans that he was supposed to be able to garner? Or do you think that they're going to actually go, no, we aren't, we aren't providing a realistic alternative and we, and we actually do need to start talking seriously at, at, a, at a party level across the board about universal health care, about, you know, improving public education and, and these type of things that young people clearly want in the United States. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, there's a parallel with the rest of the Western world, isn't there? I mean, in, in every case, um, the uniform lesson that the centre draws from every defeat or the centre-left draws from every defeat is that we went too far left. Mm. You know, they kick and scream before conceding that they need to go even a tiny bit to the left. And then lo and behold, they don't inspire people, they don't mobilise people, and they don't break through. Uh, I'm not very optimistic about the the democratic establishment drawing any healthy conclusions from this. You know, I think we're going to see a lot of very boring and very predictable hot takes complaining about uneducated voters, complaining about poor voters. Mm. You know, instead of impeaching the president, impeach the people. You know, like, they'd love to do that if they can, but, you know, that's obviously insane. Melissa, have you got a final thought before we uh, finish up? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, I hate to sound like a broken record, but again, for me, it just comes back to the system is broken. And I don't, I don't actually, as much as I would love to see Biden embrace some further left policies, I don't think that would have changed this electoral map that much. Hmm. I don't think further left policies are going to change the minds of people in Nebraska or in Georgia. The issue is the winner take all electoral college system because the majority of people want progressive change. 
But when you break that down and you gerrymander it and you suppress the vote, it's hard to achieve that. Maybe we just need to get rid of democracy altogether then, is that? <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> or perhaps... Disenfranchise the rich. Yeah, or the beltway or something, I don't know. Well, we are fast coming to the end of the show and um, it's been great to be back in the studio with you, Jackson, and um, still seeing both Daniel and Melissa on the screen, but, you know, hopefully we'll be able to have you, um, like, hopefully we can see each other in the flesh again soon. Hopefully, hopefully we'll be having celebratory drinks. If not, we will be having condolence drinks. And by the way, it will be a pleasure to see both of you guys IRL. Yes. (laughs) Nice to talk again. Thank you. Well, I think, um, unfortunately, we weren't able to necessarily bring the um, kind of results we might have hoped for this afternoon, Jackson, but um, it was great to be in the studio and to to chat again. I guess we're probably going to have to have... uh, another chat about the election we've covered it fairly extensively but you know if we don't do a whole episode maybe we'll uh, touch on it a little bit um in one of the coming weeks that sounds good to me yeah it's nice to be back it's really nice to be back in 3cr though it is a little empty by its normal standards but it's great to be back in the building yeah nice to see you you've been listening to a 3cr podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3cr in melbourne australia For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.